0: A wise man builds his life on Jesus' instructions, like a house built on a solid foundation. By tuning in today, you are pouring into your life. This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Good morning. Glad that you're here. My name is Paul. I'm the teaching pastor here. For those of you who are watching online, hello. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Last week, someone sent me a bucket of dirt. Well, that's what it looked like when I opened the cardboard box. I opened up the cardboard box. I'm like, oh, great. Merry Christmas. Here's a bucket of dirt. It is 2020 after all. But then I I dug a little bit more, and I I peeked around a little bit more, and there were two bulbs down in the dirt. And I said, well, this is is obviously not just a bucket of dirt. And I, I found directions, and behold, I found out that these are amaryllis bulbs. How many of you are aware of what amaryllis is? So those of you who grow things and know things, beautiful, beautiful, vibrant flowers. That's not what I was mailed. I was not mailed vibrant flowers. I was mailed bucket of dirt. And so I look at the directions and I'm told, okay, these are dormant. They're not, they haven't. they're not activated. You have to, you have to appropriate amount of water and fertilizer and sun. And then sure enough, behold, and I don't know if you can see from where you are, This little green thing started poking out the top. We have transitioned from dormant to now growing. I'm like, well, this is awesome. Maybe I'll have Christmas flowers by Christmas. Nah, not going to happen. Not going to happen. There's a season of growth. But that's still exciting. That's still fun to see things growing. And eventually these things will grow and they'll grow. And these beautiful, vibrant flowers will be popping out the top. But that's not the season that I'm in right now. Right now I've moved from dormant into growing. I think Amazon Prime has really kind of shot us in the foot as a culture because we've forgotten how to wait. We don't know how to wait anymore. I want my Christmas flowers now. Because I can call up Amazon Prime and I can click on fly tape and by this afternoon there will be fly tape at the door. I can call up Amazon Prime and I can say, I want whatever it is and boom, it's there the next day. We've forgotten how to wait. Do you remember when if you wanted to make a long distance phone call, you had to wait till like the evening? Like till after nine o'clock? Do you remember there was a time where there was dial up internet? Do you guys, some of you, remember dial up? There was a time when there wasn't even internet. Now we can like zap up and down to satellites and get information about anything. But there was a time where you had to wait for the internet to connect and it would make those funny sounds. Remember the modem sounds? The and you're kind of like watching this thing growing and growing, and you're praying that it's actually going to connect at some point. Oh, we we used to have to wait for things. We've completely lost the capacity to wait. We need to take our cue from our, our farmer friends, from our gardeners. Those who... By putting their hands in the dirt, the dirt has gotten a little bit into their soul and psyche and understanding that there are seasons in life. And the moment I put the seed in the ground isn't the moment I see the plant grow isn't the moment I I get the fruit, I get the harvest. We have to learn how to wait. Advent is about waiting. Waiting. Advent is about anticipating that there are things to wait for and to learn how to anticipate. Jackson and I went for a walk. Jackson's my youngest son. We went for a a walk yesterday. It's the first time I'd actually been out moving um, since COVID. COVID kind of saps the energy out of you. I kind of decided that I needed to try to get my act together. And I says, hey, I'm going to go for a walk. And Jackson says, I'll go with you, Dad. I says, awesome. And so, you know, we'll go for a, a walk for a couple miles. And we were admiring the Christmas decorations that people had out. And the variety And there's a little baby Jesus in a manger, and there's baby Jesus in a manger, and there's blow-up Santa Clauses and blow-up snowmen. And we happen to see another manger, and a Mary, and a Joseph, and then this tremendous tragedy. There were wise men there at the manger. Those of you who know me know that this is heresy. And you should correct anybody who makes this, makes this. And so I said to Jackson as we walked by this house, Jackson, should we help them be more biblical and move the wise men for them? He kind of looked at me like, well, it sounds right, but it sounds wrong at the same time. But Jackson has this wonderful analytical mind. And so Jackson says to me, well, how far should we move them? If we're going to be accurate, do we move them 50 feet we need to move them to our house? Dad, should we move them to grandma and grandpa's in Pennsylvania? I'm like, oh, yes, definitely. Let's, let's do that and then send a the note to the neighbors. It's okay. You're biblical now. <laughs> How far? I says, Jack, I, if we're going to be biblical, then we'd have to move them pretty far. Jack, it took them maybe eight, nine months up to a year. For the wise men to make the journey from Persia through the desert and the Fertile Crescent down into Jerusalem. And Jackson's like, a year? I'm like, yeah, Dad took him a, up to a year. And Jackson looks at me and says, Dad, would you do that if God asked you to do that? Well, walks over, let's go home. <laughs> Dad, would you you walk for a whole year through a desert if God asked you to do that? What if you didn't know Jesus? Dad, would you still make that trip? If you didn't know about the baby? I says, Jack, if I didn't know Jesus, I don't know if I'd make that trip. To be perfectly honest, knowing Jesus... Would you make that trip? You want me to journey for a year in anticipation of what I might see? Advent is about learning to wait and to anticipate, to be in the season and to be present. We first learned when we began our Advent series a month ago, we lit the candle of hope that hope is a story in three scenes. It is the recognition of God's faithfulness in the past, my present obedience, and looking to God's goodness in the future. You need all three of those scenes if you're going to live in biblical hope. If you're going to Be focused in what God has done. Be obedient in the present, looking to God's goodness. This is biblical hope. And then we learn as we lit another candle that the natural overflow of living in God's story of hope is joy. Hope naturally leads to joy. Joy. Think about the wise men and Joseph and and Mary and the shepherds who all come to the story in different situations and different experiences but will all manifest joy. It's because they have come to the realization that they are a part of God's story. And that produces hope, joy, and then peace, completeness, We've been looking through Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 and God is doing a work of completeness. He's taking the brokenness of the world. He's confounding the proud and he's bringing up the poor. He's bringing us to a place of peace and he's invited us to be a part of that story. Be a part of the story of restoration, the story of peace. And then finally, today, our fourth candle that we light is now the candle of love. I got to be honest. I don't like using the word love. I really don't. I really struggle with it because, man, we really jacked it up. You know what I mean? Like we've really jacked up the word love. And I've said this before. If I can say that I love my wife and I love pepperoni, there's something wrong with the word. Right? If I can say that I love a sunset and I love french fries, there's something wrong with the word. Love has lost its divinity. I struggle because I'm a biblicist by trade. I'm all about seeing things through the filter of God's definition. This is what God has said. Okay, let's look at the world through that. And so today, let's do that. Let's understand love through the filter of God's word and through what Mary has said. I found when I was reading the directions for my Amaryllis. It's fun to say. It's like a city in Texas, but not at all. Um, amaryllis. Amaryllis. Uh, that uh, there's certain macronutrients that houseplants need so that they can thrive. Okay, yeah, This is new things for me. That I should be fertilizing it whenever I water it. I haven't done that yet. I think it's a great idea. I'm going to try to do that all the Amazon prime it, and the stuff will be here by tonight I'm sure but the uh, plants need um certain percentage of nitrogen and percentage of phosphorus potassium these are the things that that needs so that it can thrive in certain ratio in certain proportion What Mary's going to help us do in Luke chapter 1 is she's going to show us certain elements that as those elements come together, we understand love biblically and we will be able to thrive and bloom well. So uh, find Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 48 and 49 and 50. Luke 1, if you have your notes that you received when you walked in, they'll be helpful for you just to write some things down. Keep track. If you're watching online, you can help each other out in your comment bar and keep people on task. And your hosts will help you do that. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 48, let's let's learn about love. Just for context, if you're not familiar, Mary has found out that she's going uh, to be pregnant with the Messiah. She travels the many miles to visit her relative Elizabeth, who in her old age has become pregnant uh, with John, the predecessor of Jesus. And in response to all that God has told her through the angel, Mary sings a song. We call it Mary's Magnificat or Mary's Song. it's kind of what we've kind of been anchoring on this Advent. And look at what she says in Luke chapter 1 verse 48. Luke 1 verse 48. For he, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me Blessed. I want us to dial in and, and drill down on this phrase. He has looked on me. God has looked on me. That's an important aspect of love. In your notes, maybe we could write this down together. Write this down. Love is here because God sees me. Love is here because God sees me. What do we mean by that? I mean, I see many things. I'm looking around. I see, I see many things. I see clock on the wall that tells me I'm going too long. I see uh, speakers over here. I see you. Some of you I've seen recently. Some of you I haven't seen in a long time, and you look great. It's so good to see you. What does it mean to see? Some of you, you know, maybe quarantine, you could go a little bit longer. Um, I love you so much. Some of you are there, but I can't see you because you're online. What does it mean to say that God sees me? Uh, There's a couple parts of that. First, it means an intense focus. To gaze upon something intently. to, To show a special favor or to pay close attention to something. Let me give you some examples from scripture and I'll just read some verses and I'll I'll open them up a little bit. An example in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been up on the mountain, mountain of transfiguration, hanging out with his inner circle. A bunch of mob is kind of gathered down below. Jesus makes his way from the top of the hill down to the lower part of the hill and everyone's in a bit of a fuss. Uh, A man has brought his very sick son to be healed by Jesus and the disciples can't do anything about it. That would be frustrating. Listen to what the father says to Jesus. This is Luke 9 verse 38. Behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son for he is my only child. Jesus, would you pay attention to my child? Would you notice? Would you fix your attention upon my sick son? How many of you have prayed something like that before? God, would you look upon my mess? God, would you look upon the sickness? God, would you look upon this loss? God, would you look on my pain? Jesus, please see me. God, I know you got a lot going on, but God, would you please see me? Another example in 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is the story of Hannah. This is a story that really helped anchor Mary in her journey. It's one that she seems to quote. In this song a lot and seems to reference back to Hannah was a woman who wanted to be a mom. Prayed and prayed and prayed that God would give her a child. Listen to the words that that Hannah says in 1 Samuel. "O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me. God, I'm asking for a child. God, I'm asking for for an infant. God, I'm asking that you would undo what sickness and disease have done to me. God, would you see me, please? Would you see me? Pay attention to me. Notice me. I understand that some of you were watching football yesterday. How many of you, I, I, I watched some of your Facebook feeds. You guys were very intently watching football. You were focused on watching the game. I'm not faulting you. It's okay. I'm just saying that if you and I were in the room at the same time, your watching and my watching would not have been the same. You would have been watching the game. I would have been looking for potato chips. That, that's, my, that's my version of looking during Facebook, you know, during, during football. Like, you got anything to eat? Like, like, what you got? And you would be screaming and cheering and shouting and dancing and weeping and crying. You are focused upon. I know you were. I know you were. It's okay. I, I, I'm here for the long haul. I'll get you through this. <coughs> our focus would have been different. Mary is asking, recognizing, noticing, and seeing. God has looked upon me. He's seen me. In the middle of my poverty, in the middle of my story, God sees me. But not just focus. There's another aspect to God seeing. I think it also means unfiltered. God sees Mary unfiltered. That yes, Mary is poor in her station. Mary is poor in her situation. Her gender would have been overlooked back then. Her age, she would have been overlooked back then. She would have been filtered out of God's story from many people's perspective. But God sees her unfiltered. Let me explain what I mean. In theater and photography, you can use filters to affect what is seen. Many of you have uh, photography phone apps where you can take a picture and you can kind of duddy it up, right? You can apply this color filter and that color filter and you can apply this layer and that layer to change the way something looks. God sees me as I am unfiltered in my precious humanity as his creation, as his child. That who I am is as much a part of God's love as God himself. God sees Mary despite her poverty. I think this is key. We have this tremendous habit Of looking at people through filters. We learn something about someone and then we apply that filter. Oh, you're of that political party. Filter. And this now shapes the way that I will see you. I view you through that lens. Oh, You have that job. Oh, you're of this gender. Oh, you're of that race. Oh, you had that experience. Oh, this is in your past filter. I now see you through that filter. Which means that filter will shape my emotions towards you, my assumptions towards you, my feelings towards you. Because that's what filters do. We would do this in the theater. Churches have gotten really good at manipulating emotions using certain filters. That in this stage, if we wanted you to feel sad or connect at a sad level with the actors, you'd bring in cool lights, cold lights, blue lights. But if there's something intense or harsh or angry that's going on, then oh, we'll use red lights. And we'll shift your emotions and your feelings based on the filters that we apply. What you have to understand is that filters make loving a person impossible. If you apply filters, loving that person as created by God makes it impossible. God loves us unfiltered. God loves Mary unfiltered. God sees me and all that comes with me. Let me give you an example. Uh, Pride and Prejudice. Okay? How many of you ladies are nodding your head? Guys have no idea what's going on right now. Okay. How many of you have read the book, Pride and Prejudice? Read the book. Some of you, well done. Well done. How many of you watched the movie? Okay. Okay. It's good. It's all right. It's all good. You still kind of get the story. Okay. It's great, 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 great story. Old English uh, guy, girl, we want them to fall in love. It's Mr. Darcy and it's Elizabeth and we want them to fall in love. The problem is they, they really suck at relationships. Both of them are really, really bad at it. Like he's got issues and she's got issues. And we know that they're supposed to be together. But man, we, they just can't seem to get their acts together. Until finally, ultimately, Mr. Darcy, very wealthy, well-to-do man. He comes to Elizabeth to express his love and devotion. And you're like, yes. Let's move this story along. Listen, guys. You want to pay attention right now. You want to learn how to talk like this. Guys, you want to write Christmas cards like this. You want to speak like Mr. Darcy. Listen to what he says to Elizabeth as he shares his love to her. Comes into the scene. He comes into the room. He's pacing back and forth. He's like a schoolboy not knowing what to do with himself. He's a little bit nervous. He's a little bit caught up. Finally, he, he he blurts out, in vain I have struggled, and it will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. I mean, guys, that's good. Like, I want you to do that with your spouse. I want you to do that with your wife this afternoon. I want you to walk into the room. My feelings will not be repressed. You must let me tell you how ardently I admire and I love you. Guys, I dare you. Wives, I want you to tell me on Facebook. Just don't laugh when he does it. Let... I mean, Darcy's good. Darcy's smooth. Darcy, Darcy's landing this plane. But there's a problem. He doesn't know when to stop talking. He says all this beautiful stuff. But, but what the author goes on to say is, but there were feelings besides those of the heart to be tailed. He was not more elegant on the subject of tenderness than of pride, his sense of her inferiority, of being a degradation of the family obstacles, which always seemed to oppose his inclinations. He concluded after sharing his love with representing to her the strength of that attachment in spite of all of his endeavors that he had found impossible to conquer that expressing his hope that he would now be rewarded by accepting his hand in marriage. So let me put that in modern language. He basically told her that I have tried to not love you because you're inferior to me. I have tried not to love you because your family is such an embarrassment in the town. It's beneath me to love you and I've tried to not love you but since I do love you, you should probably marry me. <laughs> what do you think she does? What do you think Elizabeth does? Well, ex- ladies, exactly what you would do. Exactly. Bye-bye. 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 She completely scoffs him. She completely blows him off. She completely lays into him. And then he comes back and says this. Is this all the reply with which I am the honor of experiencing? I might perhaps wish to be informed. Why? With so little endeavor of civility that you're rejecting me. He says, how dare you reject me? I love you. You should feel privileged that I want you to marry me. And then she says, well, I might as well inquire. Why with so evident a desire of offending and insulting me? That you choose to tell me that you liked me against your will, against your reason, against your very character. I'm rude. How do you want me to respond when you say it's basically against your will and your reason and your very character that you like me? All Mr. Darcy could do is see Elizabeth through the filter of her position and her poverty and her family. All he could do is see her through these filters. I tell that story because some of us have been reared on a similar theology when it comes to God. We have been taught that God sees us through certain filters. That God, despite his character and despite his will and despite God's reason has deigned to love us and we should just be thankful for that and accept whatever God wants to give us. That God sees us through certain filters. No, God sees me unfiltered. God sees me in my Wholeness as his creation, as his child. Yes, there's baggage. Oh, I got baggage. You have got baggage. Yes, there is brokenness and there is sinfulness and there are things that come along with me, but God sees me in my wholeness. God sees me in my completeness. We see God seeing us as we see ourselves. Let me say that again. We see God seeing us as we see ourselves. Which basically means through time. I believe that God sees me based on where I'm at right now. And the mess that I am right now. And I apply these filters right now. But let me see if I can't bridge the gap a little bit. So we need to use our imagination. You ready? Here we go. Let's imagine a fish tank. Fish tank. It's about this big, about this high. What kind of fish tank did you see at Walmart? Normal fish tank. Fill it up full of water, okay? Everyone? Fish tank? Got a fish tank? Teresa fish tank? Colin fish tank? Got it? Good? Online fish tank? See the fish tank? Filled full of water. I want you to take a, a section of yarn, about this long, okay? And let's just suspend it in the middle of the water, in the middle of the fish tank. Okay? okay. See it? Fish tank, water. A little string through the middle of the tank. We see reality. We see ourselves as if we are on that yarn. Time moving along. I see myself wherever I'm at upon that line. That present moment. And all the hot mess I've created in the past. That's what I see of me. That's what you see of you. Yourself upon that line. Not the whole line. Just that moment. God is the water in the tank. He sees all of you yesterday, today, tomorrow, the good and the bad and the ugly. God does not see a moment, He sees me. In my fallenness, in my brokenness, in my celebration, in my goodness, all of it together wrapped up into one. God does not pick one aspect or one moment or one day of me. He sees me. And there should be tremendous joy and relief and peace knowing that God sees me, focused on me, unfiltered. Christians struggle with this. This is nothing new. This is old. If you were to go all the way back to the early days of the church, James writes about this in churches. He's like, you guys have this real bad habit of your whole click thing, economy thing, financial thing. You just love to put filters. This is what James says in James chapter two. You pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. And then you say to the poor man, you stand over there, I tell you what, you can sit at my feet. Church cultures, favoritism and indifference. This is the opposite of God. A church cannot love others if they see others through filters. Love is here because God sees me. Love is here because God sees you Completely. Does God see the mess I've gotten myself in? Absolutely. And he works for me. In fact, let's keep moving in our story with Mary. In Luke chapter 1, verse 49, she says this. In Luke 1, 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Well, if first we're going to understand that love means that God sees me, he sees me uh, fully focused, unfiltered. Love also means love is here in that God acts for me. God acts for me. Write that down in your notes. That might be helpful to remember that. God is acting for me. I think there's two ways to approach 2020, okay? There's two ways to approach 2020. Some of us approach 2020 through faith. Okay, some of us approach 2020 through fear. Whatever 2020 has done to you, some of you look at 2020 through faith. Some of you look at 2020 through fear. Those who uh, have a tendency of looking at 2020 through fear kind of fall into, I think, one of three types. The first one are those who hunker in the bunker. Okay, those who choose to hunker in the bunker that we just need to ride this out and we'll see who comes out on the other side. You know, good luck to you. COVID's like an F5 tornado and might wipe out that house. Not going to wipe out our house. We're going to hunker in the bunker. Okay, good luck. Good luck. Go you. Go you. I'm in my bunker. It's fine. Okay. Other people who see 2020 through fear are those who quake in place. Quake in place. That death is knocking on the door. Another one bites the dust. COVID is a grim reaper with a giant scythe just mowing people down. And if I hide in my closet and I keep the door closed and I don't say anything, then you know, COVID won't get me. But they end up quaking in place. Another type of person chooses to count the losses instead of the wins. Those who see 2020 through fear choose to count losses and not wins. Meaning they look at how uh, the other teams scored a point. They look at what they have lost. They see how far behind things have gotten. And oh, what are we going to lose today? In each case, those who are succumbing to fear, their reality is often fueled by media. It's fueled by news cycles and social media, misinformation, disinformation, and they act on fear. They're driven by COVID. What is COVID taken? What is COVID doing? What is COVID going to do? It's them versus COVID. When I tell them I had COVID... They look at me like, well, the tornado skipped over your house. Good, you, know, you lucked out. COVID didn't catch you. It doesn't help that you can't see it. And our experience are so vastly different. Even those of us amongst us in the room who've had COVID. If you know, kind of the COVID club will do this now. Maybe you've experienced, you bump into someone who had COVID and you got to, well, oh, what did you have? Oh, I, I didn't have taste and smell. Oh, you know, I had headaches. Oh, I had this. Oh, I had that. You know, right? Jesse afterwards, we'll get to, we we'll get to, we'll talk about, oh, I had this. Oh, I didn't have that. I had that. And there's little COVID clubs that we get together. And eventually you'll be a part of the COVID club if you're not yet. Um, It doesn't help that the experiences are all so vastly different. And it doesn't help that the news cycle loves to foster viewers. But those of us who choose to look at 2020 through faith, and you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference between someone who looks at 2020 through fear and looks at 2020 through faith. You can tell the vast difference. And what's different is, They talk about what God has done. They gather with fellow believers and share the story of what God has done and what God is doing. They saturate their mind and their thinking with God's promises. That They have this tremendous ability to turn off the news, to set aside social media, and to censure themselves from whatever's going on out there and anchoring themselves in who God is. As a result, they look at 2020 through faith and not fear. And for them, love is very much... Here. How might it affect the world? How might it affect your world if your neighbors and your family members could be in the presence of the light of God's divine love in Jesus shining through you? Would they be overcome with fear? Or might it invite them towards faith? What you need to remember is the person who's saying this is a 14-year-old girl. A 14-year-old girl in a culture that's forsaken and forgotten her. She's going to be an outcast in her town. Eventually, her older husband is going to die and she's going to need to depend upon the generosity of others. Her eldest son is going to be a criminal marched outside of the capital and crucified in front of her eyes. And yet for Mary at the age of 14, she's already bolstered enough faith to say, God has done great things for me. I started to think about that. Let me read for you just real quickly. These are some of the promises of God. This is what God has done for you and God does for you. Okay? Just, just listen. Psalm 55. Cast your burden on the Lord. He sustains you. Acts 17. To all mankind, he gives life and breath and everything. Psalm 50. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. Isaiah 46. I have made and I will bear you. I will carry you and I will save you. Isaiah 64. No one has seen what God does for those who wait for him. 2 Chronicles 16. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. What an amazing devotion God has for his children. But I think what we're seeing in COVID is that COVID is a bit of a winnowing fork. Guys, you know what a winnowing fork is? Winnowing fork looks, it looks like a giant pitchfork. Okay? Before the days of combines and harvesters, you'd gather all the straw together, or the wheat together, and you'd take this giant fork, and you'd, you'd throw it up into the air on a threshing floor, and the good stuff would fall to the ground, and the bad stuff would be blown away. COVID seems to be winnowing, not Christian from non-Christian. I think using the term Christian is very dangerous. What it seems to be filtering those who are going to trust God and those who aren't going to trust God. That those who are going to walk in God's love and those who are going to choose to not walk in God's love. Those who are going to hold on to God sees me. God acts for me. But there's one more important dynamic of love in your notes. Maybe you could write this down. It'll help you out. God's love still waits for me. God's love still waits for me. Give you a chance to write that down. Let me show you what I mean in verse 50. Luke 1 verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. It's for those who walk. Those who are going to experience God's devotion and God's love, those who will experience it are those who walk in recognition of who, God's, who God is. Now, listen very carefully, okay? Listen. God's love is conditioned upon our acceptance of that love. God doesn't, not love. It's who God is. But we still have to walk in that love. Okay? okay, a room has light in it. But to experience that light, you have to walk into the room. Some of you are going to have Christmas dinners this week. And Christmas brunches and Christmas celebrations. And, and someone is going to create great feasts. Someone will. Maybe it's you. I don't know. You still have to sit at the table and pull yourself up and still take it in, Right? It doesn't matter that the feast is there. You still have to participate in receiving it. An embrace can be offered, but it still has to be received. God's love still waits for me. Let me take you back through Those are some of the verses that I'd read before. And listen to that that, that conditional moment where it's God's sustaining and giving and loving is present, but it still has to be received. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. And we've come full circle. That means we've now come full circle. Love brings us back to hope. Because of God's faithfulness and God's goodness, I must walk in a humble obedience. Listen to me very carefully. God's love is not something to make light of, but a light to walk in. God's love is not something to make light of. It's a love that you walk in. I, my dad was a school teacher, public school teacher. A lot of you guys know this. I had a propensity for taking advantage of that. Meaning I kind of acted like a jerk through most of high school because my dad was a teacher. And I thought that I could get away with certain things because my dad's a teacher. And I could go certain places and do certain things and have access to certain things and break certain rules because my dad's a teacher after all. I got it backwards because my dad was a teacher. There was an expectation in how I should respond and how I should act and how I should live. I do not make light of God's love. I walk in the light of God's love. Meaning, I deal with sin and I seek forgiveness. I look for ways to manifest God's love and seek to act and see other individuals. All of our experiences are different, okay? What you've gone through this year is, is completely unique to you. And God's providence has brought you through it. And for some of you, it's been bad. This is not what you wanted when you signed up for 2020. At all. And our experiences have been different. The thing about Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the angels and the shepherds and Herod and all those, all the experiences were different, but the invitation is always the same walk in humble obedience to God's love. I think, and you can talk to me afterwards, I think that COVID is a great gift to the church. Someone walked into the room and turned out the lights. It's not a problem if you know how to be a candle, right? It's not a problem if you know how to be a candle and to light it up. Turn out the lights. You make it as dark as you want. I'm going to shine bright. But we must choose to manifest that light and to not live in fear, but to walk in faith. Let me give you an example as we tie all this together. Maybe you recognize the name Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a preacher, a pastor in 19th century England in London. Great pastor called the Prince of Preachers, actually. And he was coming up as a young pastor in 1854 in London, one year into the cholera outbreak. Cholera was killing hundreds of people throughout London. A pandemic, if you will. We would say COVID. He was saying cholera. And he wrote about his experience and he wrote about how Christians were responding in the middle of this particular pandemic. This is what he wrote. If there ever be a time when the mind is sensitive, it's when death is abroad. I recollect when first I came to London, how anxiously people listened to the gospel for the cholera was raging terribly. There was little scoffing then, pushing away. When many were afraid to enter their houses, lest they should catch the deadly disease, we who had no fear about such things found ourselves most gladly listened to when we spoke of Christ and of things divine. What was was Spurgeon saying? He says, oh, when death is about people listen very intently to the good news of Jesus. When death is abounding, even though people might have been afraid to go in their own houses, those of us who have learned to walk not in fear but in faith found a very warm reception when we talk about the things of Christ and the divine. God sees us and God acts for us. But we must learn to walk in that he would go on and he shared a little bit in his journal about his frustration and his suffering in the midst of the cholera outbreak. He said this, At first I gave myself up with youthful ardor to the visitation of the sick. And it was sent from all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and religions. But soon I became weary in body. Sick at heart. My friends seemed to be falling one by one and I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest and I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear and I was ready to sink under it. I was returning mournfully home from a funeral when as God would have it my curiosity led me to read a paper that was wafered up in a shoemaker's window It did not look like a trade announcement, nor was it, for it bore in good, bold handwriting these words. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, your habitation. There shall no evil befall you. Neither shall any plague come near your door. Spurgeon says the effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage from Psalm 91. I felt secure and refreshed, girt with immortality, and I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm, peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil. I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the tradesman to place those verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge. And in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. Love is here. It's 2020. I get that. Love is here. I will choose to walk in the fact that God sees me. Unfiltered. Focused upon me. I will choose to walk in the reality that God acts for me. He sustains me. He delivers me. But God's love does wait for me. I will walk in obedience to that. I will be faithful to him. Jesus said there are two ways to build your life. A wise man builds his life on God's instructions, like a house on a strong foundation. For more teaching from this ministry, go to whoishouseontherock.com. If you don't have a church, please consider being our guest on a Sunday morning. Again, visit whoishouseontherock.com for more information.